Welcome to the Refuge Adult Sunday School class. And this week we're going to be beginning our new series on pleasing the Lord. And we're going to be talking specifically about what does God require? We have to, if we want to be disciples, followers of Christ, we have to be obedient to God's commands. Before we begin, let's go ahead and pray today. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to learn about you. We want to know what is pleasing to you. We want to know what you require of us. And we know, oh God, that you haven't left it to chance or question, but we can look in your word and find the answers, Lord, to what it is that you desire of our lives. Help us to seek and to find that as we study together over these next few lessons. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin today with a story from the author. A gentleman purchased a company that manufactured dog food. He was interested in improving the product that the company sold. Of course, he also wanted the company to increase its market share. He invested in new equipment, hired the best marketing staff available, and even changed the recipe of the dog food. He was excited about what his company would accomplish. His unique product would be like nothing else on the market. Soon, the new product was released in stores. The packaging was bright and attention-getting. A media blitz made it impossible for any dog owner to miss the updated product. For a time, all was well. Month after month, sales increased. The marketing was working. Intrigued by all the buzz, pet owners tried the new product. Sales began to slow. And then... Not just slow, sales went into a free fall. The owner invested more money in marketing and hired some additional sales personnel, but nothing worked. He soon called together his executive team, his marketing staff, and sales crew. The owner reviewed the efforts that had been made and the money that had been invested in marketing and packaging. He sought an explanation. One and then another tried to come up with a rational reason for things not going well. Finally, a whisper came from a corner of the meeting room. Someone said, the dogs just don't like it. The company's owner had failed to consider what the ultimate determiner of sales, the dogs, would want. Many business enterprises have failed because they assumed their product would be of interest. Unfortunately, many people fail to ask the simple question, who is the customer? What does the customer want? Companies fail on a daily basis in some instances. Sadly, a family will have put their life savings into the endeavor. The failure of a dog food plant, a new dishwashing detergent, or a restaurant is unfortunate. There is a loss of financial capital. Someone is disappointed by the failure. But the significance of those failures is microscopic when compared with the significance of pleasing the Lord. It is important to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, we must not, we cannot fail. Nor is there any need for us to fail. We all know what pleases Him, or we know where to find the answers to what pleases Him. And what pleases Him is not difficult. Pleasing the Lord doesn't require a college degree or a social standing. That's not at all what it requires. 
just a little searching. Today and in the next few lessons, we will focus on a single verse in the book of Micah. To understand the significance of Micah's message, it's helpful if we know the context in which this prophet spoke. Micah, he prophesied as a contemporary of Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. He prophesied during the reigns of four kings. Some were were wanton in their ungodliness. At least one of the kings attempted to lead the nation of Judah to revival. Micah spoke during a time of public profession of obedience to God. At the same time, there were groves which hid idolatry all around the kingdom. Kings full of self-interest and ambition overtaxed the people. The behavior of Jerusalem's leading citizens, the kings, was not consistent with God's desires. Furthermore, God's people were influenced by the ungodly people who surrounded them. Some of this sounds really consistent with the time that we live in. So how did God respond to what was going on in Jerusalem, in, in, these ki- in this kingdom, how did God respond through Micah? Because God did use these men, these prophets, to respond to the backslidden state of his people. Specifically, God used Micah in giving a mixture of denouncing the behavior of the present and speaking of what was to come. His primary audience was Judah's leadership in both government and religion. Micah's prophecies would not have been popular. He was the first prophet to predict the downfall of Jerusalem. Micah also spoke against the false prophets, accusing them of accepting money for their meaningless, positive predictions. Yet Micah wasn't all gloom and doom. He spoke of a future where the glory of Zion would be restored. Micah gave specific instruction on what behavior would facilitate the restoration. We're going to focus on the instruction regarding how that restoration would happen. The theme of Micah's prophecy is captured in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. And it says this, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So what does God require? As disciples, we have to be obedient to his requirements. That which is required has no second option. It would be foolish to think that our own ideas about pleasing God would have more value than the Lord's clearly expressed desires. At times, the conversation about what God requires can get confused with human preference or even human ambitions. If an employer requires certain things, would it be possible to please the boss if I ignore those requirements? Being at work on time, fulfilling the job description, and accomplishing specified tasks will be a part of every job. Having a clear picture of what God requires is more important than pleasing an employer. 
We cannot please God if we do not do what he desires. Not doing what is required by an employer or by the Lord Jesus Christ means we are being disobedient. Samuel, the prophet Samuel, spoke to King Saul concerning his disobedience. And he said this, you can find in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Saul's response to God's specific instructions is an example of man presuming that a certain behavior was optional, of a man doing what he thought was best over what would please God. The Amalekites, a nation to the south of Israel, had been a constant adversary to God's people. When Israel exited Egypt, the Amalekites lied in wait to do battle. You find that story in Numbers 14. After Saul became king, the prophet Samuel gave him clear and simple instructions. Saul was to lead the Israelite army in the total destruction of the Amalekites. Not a single person or any of the livestock of the Amalekites was to remain alive. No life was to be left. Saul did well in preparing to carry out Samuel's instructions. He brought together 210,000 warriors. Not only did Saul have a significant army, but his strategy was well thought out. The Israelites' army approached a key city of the Amalekites and waited in the valley, and at a strategic moment, Saul's warriors attacked and overwhelmed their enemies. With that battle, Saul and his army defeated the Amalekites throughout the territory under their control. As often can be the case, Saul started out doing so well in carrying out the instructions he had been given. But then he makes a turn towards disobedience. We may have started well doing something for God, but then found ourselves distracted by some other interest, other priorities of our own and values of our own tend to come into play. Distraction, loss of focus, and changed priorities can all be seen in Saul's action. See, Saul had been instructed to do two things. Destroy all of the Amalekites and kill the livestock owned by the Amalekites. Instead, Saul almost did what he was required to do. He almost did what God had asked of him. But he spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and Saul saved the best of the livestock. This was obviously not in keeping with what God had required. Saul had been selectively obedient. The possessions of the Amalekites that had little value were demolished. Average citizens and even exceptional citizens of the Amalekites had been destroyed. The king of the Amalekites and the best of the livestock, though, they were kept alive. Saul had been disobedient to a clear command of God. Why? Why would a man who had been so blessed of God, chosen of God, make such a mistake? In regard to King Agag, Saul's behavior may have been based on ego. 
It was a custom of the time for a victorious king to keep the defeated king as a testimony or a trophy of that king conquering power. Saul's dominance over the living Agag would be a visible testimony of Saul's past victory. Successes are quickly forgotten. Life moves on, but if Agag were present, it would be a reminder of King Saul's success. That's kind of an issue considering what happened wasn't actually King Saul's success at all, but it was the Lord's success. And so he was disobedient in an attempt to pat himself on the back and to lift his own name up. Additionally, keeping the best livestock stock made economic sense. The measure of a man, even a king, was in the numbering of his herds and his flocks. The best of the Amalekite livestock would intermingle with those that Saul already owned. And as a result, Saul's flocks and herds would both increase in number and be improved in their quality. Saul had heard a direct requirement of God. But Saul's ambition for significance and wealth got in the way of him doing what would please God. He made his decisions based on his own ego and he made his decisions based on trusting in his own self and providing for his own self instead of trusting in God to provide for him and giving God all the credit. Could there be any way that Saul's behavior would please God? Well, no, the Lord had given him specific instructions. And these things, this this desire to control what was going on in his own life, this desire to provide for himself instead of trusting in God, and the desire to feed his own ego got in the way of complete obedience to God. Accountability is extremely important and it helps us to stay obedient to the Lord. It helps us to, uh, to know what pleases him and to do it if we are held accountable. The Lord told the prophet Samuel of his disappointment with King Saul. The following day, Samuel went to Saul's, encamp- Saul's encampment. Saul's first words to Samuel were, Blessed be the thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul's greeting seemed to be an attempt to bluster his way forward. Quite obviously, the king had not performed the entire commandment of the Lord, although he had completed much of what God had asked. But partial obedience is not obedience ever, not just in this particular story, but ever partial obedience is not obedience. No matter how much Saul uh, blustered to Samuel about having performed the commandment of the Lord, there was glaring evidence of Saul's disobedience. And Saul's, uh, his account to Samuel, it didn't confuse the prophet as to his task. Samuel had come to the military encampment to confront Saul for not having done what the Lord had asked. He was going to hold him accountable to God's word. At times, we need a godly leader who will appropriately confront us with hard questions. Samuel, he wasn't being nosy. He wasn't trying to run Saul's life and make decisions for him. And that's not what our leaders are trying to do when they address concerns with us. Our leaders are concerned about our relationship with God. 
and about how we are pleasing to him, about our obedience to him. Without delay, Samuel asked Saul about the sound of sheep and oxen. Saul passed the buck. He portrayed his soldiers as those responsible for keeping the sheep and oxen alive. If this were actually the case, it would mean that Saul was a leader who no longer influenced the people he led. Additionally, Saul justified the decision to keep the livestock as part of his men's desire to serve God. Oh, the people desire the best of the sheep and of the oxen because they want to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. When we sin, though, it is best that we take full responsibility. Is there really any justification for willful disobedience to God? Would Saul blaming his action on someone else have set well with an all-knowing God? The Lord knows the motives that influence our actions. And when God calls us to account for a misdeed, we can't pass the blame to someone else. This is a plague in our society today. People constantly pass the blame to someone else. A mistake is made and they're like, well, so-and-so did this and it caused me to do this. And, and uh, you know, we all can think of someone that we know that consistently passes the blame for their mistakes onto someone else. When what we should be doing is saying, yes, I am the one that messed up because, because that right there, taking the blame and being accountable for what we've done is what leads us into repentance so that we can get our relationship right with God. If we are constantly blaming our sin on someone else, if we are constantly blaming our shortcomings and disobedience on someone else, then we're never going to come to a place of repentance. And that is what we, that's what we need to be seeking out when we make a mistake is a place of repentance. So what is the outcome of displeasing the Lord? In response to Saul's explanation, Samuel gave a concise history of Saul's reign. Saul had started as an insignificant person, even in his own eyes. God had chosen him to be anointed king over Israel. The Lord had told Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Saul did not obey the Lord, but rather he kept the spoils of victory. We tend to be a stubborn people like Saul was. Even in the face of obvious disobedience, Saul contested the man of God's outline of events. Saul's defense was foolish. He said, in essence, I have destroyed the Amalekites and have brought their king with me. Saul's self-interest and ego had blinded him. He did not see keeping Agag alive as a violation of the Lord's instruction. But an instruction to destroy everyone but the Amalekite king would have been quite different from the order to destroy all the Amalekites. Saul had a different definition of utterly destroyed the sinners of, of the Amalekites than either God or Samuel had. When compared to the many Amalekites destroyed, keeping Agag alive seemed small. But Saul's small compromise was still disobedience to God. Stubbornly, Saul continued blaming keeping the livestock on others. Even if others had made the decision to keep the livestock, Saul was ultimately responsible. If keeping the livestock had happened as Saul suggested, then he as king had abandoned his leadership responsibility. If Saul had instructed that the livestock be kept alive, he was directly disobedient. Saul's limited obedience 
reflects a gospel folk song from another area that the author of the lesson shared with us. And it goes like this. There's many people of today profess to love the Lord. They say they're doing all his will and trusting in the word. But yet they're always grumbling. Do you know the reason why? Tis because they have some idols that they're keeping on the sly. The shelf behind the door, the shelf behind the door. Tear it down, throw it out, don't use it anymore. For Jesus wants his temple clean from ceiling to the floor. He even wants the corners clean just in behind the door. And that is the song, The Shelf Behind the Door, from 1898 by Samuel Wheatlake. Agag, the best Amalekite flocks and herds, were Saul's shelf behind the door. In dealing with the Amalekites, Saul had pleased God in most things. But his selective obedience caused God to see him as a stubborn rebel. Such is the effect of the shelf behind the door. Might your rebellion have to do with seeing yourself as an owner rather than a steward? Do you think, I will serve God, but I'm not going to tithe? Perhaps you want to attend church and be blessed by all it provides, but you want no active role in the body of Christ. Do you wish to be blessed, but not be a blessing? Do you practice the disobedience of gossip in your life? Is that the agag, the sin that wears the golden crown? Have all the less meaningful and less significant things in your life been destroyed, but one particular thing has such importance that you cannot get rid of it? In what areas have you been stubborn? In what areas have you hidden something? God quickly responded to Saul's rebellion and stubborn defense of of himself. Saul's stubborn rebellion was too much for God. And we find in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 through 23. And Samuel said, like we read, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. You know, we're all familiar with that little portion about rebellion being as the sin of witchcraft. But I find it interesting that in this portion of scripture, um, culture often leaves out stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. We almost wear stubbornness as a badge of honor when right here it tells us in scripture that stubbornness is like having an idol. When we are too stubborn to let God be in complete control, we have made ourselves an idol. We have made ourselves the Lord of our own lives. And that is a problem. That is us being disobedient to the Lord, not doing what he has asked and required of us. God required Saul to totally destroy the Amalekites and their possessions. But Saul did not do what was required. There was no uncertainty in the instruction given to Saul, nor was there any uncertainty in the message of 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23 that we read. Micah 6, 8 speaks of things that God requires. There is no uncertainty in what Micah said. The prophet Micah also asked questions of his audience. In Micah chapter 6, the prophet asks nine rhetorical questions intended to get his listeners to consider what the Lord wanted of them. 
Micah's first few questions mentioned sacrifices that many Israelites regularly made. As he continued with these probing questions, there was a progressive movement towards more extremism. It might be imagined that those who sacrificed thousands of rams or offered a child sacrifice were truly committed to the God they worshipped. Such people would be accounted as holy or set apart to their God. But Micah's conclusion was simple. Neither the normal sacrifice nor extreme offerings mattered if people were not obedient to what the Lord required. Micah 6.8 again says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God? God was not requiring a difficult thing. What God required was attainable by every person both then and now. God required a person to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. Some are willing to do a grand thing, but not a consistent thing. Perhaps some want their talent to be noticed, but they are unwilling to humbly serve on the hospitality or the cleaning team. Some love to preach in the church building, but they have no interest in a jail service or teaching a Sunday school class. These are similar to the people that Micah was addressing. What the residents of Jerusalem were doing for the Lord was all external. It was all for show. God was and is more interested in the practical, though. Accomplishing what the Lord requires does not necessitate a certain level of education or wealth. Instead, The Lord requires us to be obedient to Him in how we deal with others and in our attitude toward Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word and thank You that You are specific with us. Thank You, Lord, that You give us things that we can follow, that You have showed us what pleases You and what helps us to be obedient to You. Let us do that. Let us submit our lives completely and totally to You, withholding nothing. We love You, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.